Welcome to Mediocre from Minnesota Daily John Versations, a snack-sized podcast delivering a frequent dose of mediocrity that you didn't know you needed. Today's topics are expect the unexpected, phrase of the week, and this day in history. So we're going to start off with phrase of the week, and if you've ever wondered where paint the town red comes from, this phrase most likely owes its origin to one legendary night of drunkenness in 1837. This information is brought to you by, well, not brought to you because it ain't sponsoring me, but I got the information from history.com. So the Marquis of Waterford, sounds like a fancy dude, uh, he was a known lush and mischief maker, led a group of his friends on a night of drinking through the English town of Melton Mowbray. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, sounds like a bunch of college dudes uh, getting drunk and uh, going and partying. But uh, So this, this bender culminated in vandalism of Waterford and his uh, fellow drunkards knocked over flower pots, pulled knockers off doors, broke windows of some of the town's buildings. And to top it all off, they literally painted a toll gate, uh, the doors of several homes, and a swan statue with red paint. Uh, so the Marquis and his pranksters later compensated Melton, the town, for the damages. Uh, but that's likely where uh, paint the town red came from. So literally painting the town red was because some drunks back in 1837 painted the town red. Um, there is another theory that suggests that it was actually born out of uh, the brothels of the American West and referred to men behaving as though their whole town were a red light district. Um, and if you're not sure where that is, a uh, red light district is a place where you could uh, where you could pay, pay for sex, basically. Interesting, uh, but also kind of literal that uh, painting the town red is... Literally, because they paint the town red. Um, Night of drunkenness. All right, uh, so expect the unexpected. Uh, Another kid's story here. Uh, I don't know if you've dealt with potty training. It's kind of interesting, all the different tips and tricks uh, for getting your kid to potty train. You can give give them treats if they if they sit on the potty to start with, and then you can give them treats if they actually go potty. Uh, so it's basically like a reward system. Uh, not, I hope this doesn't sound too bad, but a lot like training a dog to, to do things, to do tricks. Um, in this case, it's your child, uh, but it's all about positive reinforcement. Um, there's even little potties you can buy. Um, there's attachments for this, you know, like the big ones, but there's literal little potties you can buy set on the floor. It's got a little handle. You can flush it. It makes the sound um, ultimately in this kind of gross but then you just pull out the little container and dump the contents into your big toilet and flush it down and rinse it out but uh i guess makes them feel like they've got their own little little space for doing their business um also there's you're supposed to like clap and cheer when they actually go so that they feel like yay you know i i did it my parents are proud of me I should do it again so I can get that get that uh, cheering and that clapping and that that positive reinforcement to make sure I'm I'm doing it right. 
um, yeah, su- super odd. Uh, we've had pretty good luck with our kids uh, as far as potty training goes. Uh, my wife is very diligent with uh, once, you know, like we we're going to do it. She's pretty good at like, all right, we're doing it. Kids aren't uh, kids aren't going to be wearing diapers. You know, if they have an accident, they have an accident. But, you know, hopefully they learn, like, don't pee in your pants because that don't feel good walking around with uh, wet pants. But uh, this story has a little bit to deal with potty training, um, but also more just kind of a kind of a gross story. Uh, so for also, if you've got kids and you're familiar with um, what can happen when you have kids, uh, when kids, oftentimes they're, you know, you're giving them a bath. They always, as soon as you get them in there, they're like, I got to pee. And I get it, right? The, the water, the sensation maybe, you know, makes them have to pee. But it's just like, ugh, just put you in the bathtub. Now you got to pee. So I got to get you out. You're all wet. You know, if you're on the toilet, the toilet's all wet. Floor's all wet. Anyway, so in this uh, instance, uh, one of our kids was uh, taking a bath and started screaming um, that she had to go to the bathroom. Um, I believe she was screaming that she had to poop. Uh, so I run into the, the the bathroom to get her out, to get her on the potty. Uh, so she doesn't go in the tub. Now we have had that. And that is not fun. Uh, fishing turds out of the tub. Um, but in this case, I pick her up out of the tub and put her on the ground and, you know, about to get her onto the toilet and I can see in her face that she is actively pooping and you know you would think your first instinct is you know grab something get her on the toilet you know do something to keep her from going on the floor and instead my first instinct was to put my hands out to catch said poop as it is falling out of our child's butt. And I'm standing there with poop in my hands. And I I yelled to my wife, please come in here. I need some help. And she's laughing at me and probably shocked that I am holding my child's poop in my in my hands and uh she takes care of you know the um our kid finishes going to the bathroom uh, i take the poop and put it into the toilet and i thoroughly wash my hands because that was disgusting and it you know it's one of those things where it's like after you've done that like not a lot of things are gonna bother you 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 just caught somebody else's poop i mean maybe if it was your own that's like, okay, kind of keep it private, but it's like somebody somebody else's. And granted, you know, I've changed a bunch of diapers, hundreds, thousands, I don't know. So it's, you know, it's like I'm used to it, but it's typically not getting on my skin. Um, so that was, that was an unfor- unfortunate event. Um, you know, I don't know if I've got, got any trauma related from that. It wasn't, it wasn't that terrible, but, uh, but it was, it was a little gross. Uh, so that's, that's my, uh, expect the unexpected, like stuff happens. Do you have kids? There's, there's wild stuff that happens. All right. Next we're jumping to 
this day in history. Uh, and this information was obtained from Britannica.com. So, in 2010, on this day, January 4th, the Burj Khalifa, a skyscraper in Dubai, formally opened and became the world's tallest building. This building took six years to build. It has 163 floors. The foundation was reinforced concrete that is nearly 13 feet thick. It has more than 28,000 hand-cut glass panels, and it is 2,717 feet tall, or more than half a mile up in the air. More than half a mile in the air. That is insane. And at the time it was built, it surpassed the previous tallest building in the world, the Taipei Financial Center in Taiwan, which was 1,667 feet tall. So this thing is literally a 1,000 feet taller than the previous tallest building in the world. One thing that I thought was crazy, too, is that it can, it can sway. Like, it's built to be able to sway up to four to five feet at the top of the building. So depending on, like, wind conditions, this thing can... I mean, that's... Like, building materials, like, typically you don't think, like, they're moving. That's, you know, they're swaying. But it's just, yeah, it's just wild to think that, like, it's still standing. And they do, there are, uh, I'm not going to get into the, you know, what they do to try to, like, dampen some of that swaying. It's, there's, like, one method is these huge weights that hang down the center of the building to try to, like, deaden that so you don't feel it. Uh, but, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Also, the tallest building in the United States is one World Trade Center in New York, and that's uh, 1776 feet tall. I believe that was probably on purpose um, as far as the height for that. But, you know, so you think, you know, if you've ever been there, you see that building, I mean, it's massive, right? No, I can't, I don't even know. I mean, it can't even seem real standing in front of that or even, you know, being on top of that building and looking out. And it, it, Yeah, I mean, everything's just got to look tiny. I mean, basically in an airplane at that point. Um, so super, super cool and kind of funny. We, uh, just, just recorded an episode, um, of mediocre from Minnesota last night and randomly Sam brings up the Burj Khalifa because we were talking about, um, the height of something else. And I was like, no way. I, I don't know that I've ever even heard of this building and I'm about to talk about it tomorrow morning and you just brought it up. So, uh, for a future episode of Mediocre from Minnesota, it also gets mentioned on there. And uh, I got close to guessing the hype because I prepared for the show, um, although I didn't get it correctly, so that was kind of sad. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of all I had for you today. Kind of a shorter episode. Um, you know, I don't really time these things out. It's just kind of, here's a few things that I want to talk about, and if it goes for a while, it goes for a while. If it's super short, it's super short, but today you got lucky. You didn't have to listen to me talk for a whole while. Um, I will be back on tomorrow, January 5th, uh, so make sure to make sure to tune in. Uh, if you're on your way to work, uh, sipping your coffee, hope it's hot. Hope you have a great day. Uh, that's going to wrap up today's show. Thanks for listening to Daily Conversations, a snack-sized podcast delivering a frequent dose of mediocrity that you didn't know you needed.